Hello and welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you this week, sir? Doing good, doing good. What about you? Good. You got two feet on the ground. I mean, the wind is blowing absolutely crazy strong here in central Oklahoma. So hopefully you're doing all right. <laughs> yeah. I, I walked the dogs earlier and uh, it was tough. It was like a workout walking into the wind. Well, I know you're like me. I know you're hopped up on, on Claritin right now with all this blowing dust in Oklahoma, <laughs> but that's oh, enough sure. weather talk, right? And We, we got talk. into it early, early. So we got it out of the way because I know it's it's hot on everybody's mind, but Dustin, I mean, a ton to get to, and we might as well just jump right into it. Obviously, you know, big stories of the day, big news uh, in Avery Anderson hitting the transfer portal, baseball coming off a 2-1 series win over Texas. We'll bury the lead and get to those later, but Dustin, I know we've got some football news and notes to get to. I'll kick it over to you for that. Yeah, so Cade, we're kind of in the middle Part of spring practice right now you know they'll wrap up on april 22nd with that last practice so not a not a ton has changed really from last week you know they're still kind of going through learning the schemes installing the new defense installing some of the new stuff on offense that we've heard about incorporating the tight end so it's not as much like big time notable news but I think there were a few things just kind of wanted to hit. First off, the coaches clinic was last Saturday where all the kind of where all the high school coaches, I believe there's some smaller college coaches there as well that Oklahoma State throws every year. The head kind of keynote speaker was Todd Monken, former Oklahoma State offensive coordinator. He was at Georgia during their national championships and now with the Baltimore Ravens. And Brian Nardo, current Oklahoma State defensive coordinator, spoke I think it actually went pretty well. I know Monken loves coming back to Stillwater. I believe he mentioned that during the clinic. He coached with Casey Dunn. He coached with John Wozniak. And he actually has known Todd Bradford since the late 90s. They coached together at Eastern Michigan. So a lot of guys still on the Oklahoma State staff. Todd's son also, Cade. Some people may know this. If I knew it, I completely forgot about it. But Travis Monken is a student coach right now at Oklahoma state. Did you know that? I, I'm with you. If I knew that I completely forgot it because that, that did not ring a bell for me. Yeah. So he's there coaching. I know Todd Monken said he really appreciates the staff, letting him kind of come in there and be a student coach. I'm sure he's got a career in coaching ahead of him with a, a dad like Todd Monken, who's already got the connections and I'm sure he's got some of his smarts as well. So really cool. Kate, one real notable thing when Nardo was talking, the only quote that I really saw, and this was from Polk's report, because you know, those guys were able to attend. He said, how I would describe our defense is we're a multiple three, four. We play with three, three, five personnel. And people have talked to me and asked me how everything is going with the three, three, five. It's a 3-3-5, but then we become a 3-4 somehow. So Nardo's explaining that scheme, and he continues by saying, 
it is more that I started out as a 4-3 guy, then became a 4-2-5 guy, and now I'm a 3-3-5 guy. So we look at it as playing a 3-4 with 3-3-5 personnel. I thought that was pretty interesting. It just kind of shows you that Nardo is willing to adjust. I, you know, when I did the Twitter thread on his scheme over the years, I showed how he was 4-3, then 4-2-5, then morphed into a 3-3-5 and brought that with him to Gannon University. I think the it's like their second season there. They switched, or the, his first season there, they switched to that. So very interesting stuff from Nardo kind of on the scheme. He went over some of the principles behind the scheme, but I really like everything he's saying in all of these kind of meetings, the interview with him on OSU Max. I'm buying in all the way, Cade, and I know that's no surprise to our listeners or to you, but I just, I love hearing these quotes and I wish I could have been in that clinic and kind of listened to him talk a little bit. Well, especially knowing that he's he's got the ability to run through pretty much every base defensive package you would run there because I think you just listed them all off. So, no, that's not, that's great. Um, I think the the sentiment on Nardo is extremely high. Everything you hear about him is just that he's kind of a film junkie. He's a guy's guy. It's. I think he's going to be really good, and I think he's going to surprise some people. Um, you know, it's it's. The the Mike Yersich comparison all over again, I think he's going to probably come in and do a really solid job. It may take some time. There's been some quotes about that, even that it, it may be a little while before they stop anybody, but I think they'll get there. And it seems like culturally, that's the kind of guy that Mike Gundy's going to gel with. 100%. No, that's that's a great point on it and taking a little bit of time, but I, I think we'll get there. Mike Gundy even talked about it, kind exactly. of installing the most simple stuff right now in the scheme and then working up. So we'll kind of see, we'll keep monitoring that. If we get, whenever we get Nardo quotes, we'll probably read them on here because uh, <laughs> they've been great so far. Cade, before we get into spring football practice, another kind of notable item like the coaches clinic pro day, it was, we talked yeah. about it last week. It was the Wednesday morning after we recorded, so it feels like a long time ago. Pretty much every Oklahoma State media outlet has covered this now, so we won't go into a ton of detail. But some takeaways from it, we've learned that Jason Taylor, who didn't do everything on Pro Day because he thought that he tested well in some things, like the 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine, so he was a limited participant. But when he was talking to, I believe it was Megan Robinson, they put this up on OSU Max. He said he's got a New York Jets visit coming up, and he's spoken to all every single NFL team at least a little bit. So he should have a bunch of visits coming up. I, I still think I'm still going to go. I think Jason Taylor is going to get drafted. I, I'm, I don't think it's going to be an early round by any means. I think it might be a day three type of thing. But if he doesn't get drafted, I'm going to be pretty surprised. Well, I'm wondering how common it is for, and maybe one of our listeners can tell us this, for a, you know, fifth to seventh round, last day draft projection to meet with every single NFL team. I, Dustin, I don't know if you know that, but that seems significant in my opinion. I don't know how common yeah. that is. It's it's something great to call out, Caden. Actually, on uh, Justin Southwell, Megan Robinson, and Eve Batoba's podcast, uh, the Believe in OK State pod, which we've mentioned on here before, and our, our buddy Southwell has called in as well with some questions. But they, Eve actually said, and Eve has spent some time in NFL personnel and yeah, things like absolutely. that. 
he said that he wouldn't be shocked to see Jason Taylor go as early as late second round. He wasn't saying he was going to go then, but he could see if he went then, he wouldn't be shocked if he went that high. That surprised me. But, Kate, to your point with him meeting with all these teams, maybe he does go a little bit earlier than you and I think. Well, and you know that once an NFL team kind of gets their guy – or at least down the down that line, they think, man, can we steal this guy in the sixth round? And then that's kind of the thought. But then, then you, you know that he's in the third round. Yeah, he's right. He's met with literally every NFL team who probably also has an affinity for him. That's how you see draft stocks start rising when he becomes suddenly in demand. So second round seems high, but I'll say this. Eve Beethoven knows a lot more about the way NFL front offices operate than I do. So oh, uh, yeah, that would be 100%. crazy. That's kind of why I wanted to note it. And I know I'm not holding you to that by any means. That was an off the cuff sure, thing you sure, said sure. on the podcast, which you and I know how that goes. If oh. everybody took everything <laughs> we said on the podcast seriously, we would uh, no, probably have no listeners. Yeah, but, 100%. Along with JT, I wanted to call that thing out because I feel like that's something that maybe wasn't covered as much as some of the times and things like that. You know, Braden Johnson ran a really fast 40 time. You and I talked about we knew he was going to do that. Brendan Evers, notable with him, he was listed on Oklahoma State's roster at 295. He obviously, all, all the guys normally lose weight during the season with all the cardio and everything, but he's all the way down to 277. Oh, wow. I thought that was pretty surprising. Is that too slim for a guy that plays inside? I, I think so. It almost makes me think he's willing to move maybe a little bit more to the edge. Yeah. And with the way he tested out, maybe he's got the athleticism to do that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. Potentially, he could be out on the edge. I would get a little concerned with his ability to you know, break the rush on a on an NFL caliber left tackle or right tackle. But at the end of the day, I think that might be a little slim, but surely he's, he's got people in his ear telling him these things. So maybe there's something yeah. we don't know. And he tested, like I said, really well, you know, four, nine, seven unofficial 40 is what I saw around that averaging out to that. That would have been seventh among defensive tackles at the combine. So he's testing at the higher end, which makes you think maybe, he could move out there. Right. I, I personally don't see it, but I, I think, you know, Brandon Evers is a guy that could maybe make a practice squad. And then the last notable item I wanted to hit, Cade, unless you had something else, Matt Hembrell, he tested yeah. out extremely. And there's not much to compare it to. There was only one long snapper at the combine, but he destroyed that guy in basically every single category, 22 reps on the bench. He also said that was a, a PR for him hitting a, personal best on your pro day is big time. That's I think what everybody strives to do. Yeah. That's, he was able to do it. So we'll see, you know, the one thing he needs to work on, I, I think just cause he probably doesn't have a ton of experience with it at the college level is blocking some of these NFL sized guys. It's something he mentioned he needs to work on, but him, him bro's going to make a team. Kate. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to be a sixth round draft pick at this point. I mean, I think we <laughs> predicted it last week, right? He could totally go. No, I'm just kidding. But I, it's it's awesome to see it. And again, we kind of talked about the possibility of him going late and having a longer uh, NFL career than you might think at a at a long snapper position in the NFL. So good for Matt Hembro, uh, and it's always good to set a personal best at pro day, as you said. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, Cade, 
we'll go on to practice notes next. Did you have any other notes from the combine? No, Dustin. I mean, wh- one of the things that I was thinking of, I'll I'll kind of take us back to the front. You s- and I'll I'll bring us all the way back to the front. You said something that pinged my radar, and I wrote this down. And I didn't want to let this get away from you. We'll bring it all the way back to Todd Munkin. Uh, you mentioned that he's in Stillwater and all the Oklahoma State fans. The fact that, as you mentioned, he's he loves Stillwater still to this day. Boy, that doesn't do a whole lot to help the cause of a uh, of a of a lot of a fan base that would like to see potentially a change made. And I think the first guy that Oklahoma State fans wouldn't mind seeing is a guy named Todd Munkin. So you bringing that up, Dustin, uh, I it made me laugh and I had to bring it back full circle to you. <laughs> no, I love it, kid. I love it. I think I think that's it but before we get into practice, Cade. You know, there was definitely, we, we're definitely not mentioning some things on Pro Day. I just think it's been over-covered at this point. Not over-covered, covered the correct amount, but <laughs> you can find all the full results. I know Marshall Scott from Pistols Firing put them up in a nice table which I appreciate. It's easier to look at that way than kind of in a long paragraph or anything like that. So if you want to check that out, you can see that on pistols firing. There were all the guys we mentioned along with, I think CJ Tate and Tom Hutton were the two that we didn't mention. We didn't know they were going to be there. That's right. But other than that, all the guys we listed off last time, you know, your Lamont Bishop, Sione Asai, Asi, Braden Johnson, Lacey, Jason Taylor, Brock Martin. So it'll be interesting. Keep an eye out. What you're going to see a lot on Twitter now is guys taking visits right. with certain NFL teams. So we'll keep you locked in there. I know we did that last year, but anybody that visits, we'll try to catch it and list it out on the pod. So Yeah, no, 100%. We're getting down into the to the last few weeks of the NFL, you know, kind of uh, pre-draft uh, season. I know the NFL draft at the end of this month in Kansas City should be fun. And, uh, you wish, again, I said this last week, you wish you had somebody going on the first day. It's always fun, good publicity for your school, but uh, hopefully they've got that guy uh, coming next year. We'll see. Yeah, well, Kendall Daniels will be there one day. Yeah, so I, I we'll think so, that. for sure. No question. No question. <laughs> All right, on to practice, Cade. Yeah. I'm so ready. this week we had a special visitor. Just wanted to mention real quick, not really notable to practice, but Jalen Warren. Former Oklahoma that? State running back, current Pittsburgh Steelers running back, was at practice. Apparently, he's just in town visiting. His former high school coach and several players from West High School in Utah were at practice last Saturday. So Warren was there the next kind of week. So that was kind of cool that he came right after them. It'd be cool if he was there, if he would have been there at the exact same time. But he's there visiting. I don't think he has to report back to Pittsburgh or to the Steelers until April 17th, I believe it was. So he was there hanging out. Did you see a picture of him, Kate? He looks fit. He looks absolutely jacked. And I'll just say one thing. I think Jalen Warren, that's like maybe the second or third time he's come back to Stillwater randomly since he's been a Pittsburgh Steeler, which has only been for, uh, you know, this is he's going into his second NFL season. I know there's been a lot of grief thrown on, you know, the program and the culture and things like that. This is a pretty good sign, right? I don't think you can take it for more than it's worth. But you got a guy in Jalen Warren who's now an NFL pro coming back, hanging around on a random weekend uh, in Stillwater. I think that's pretty cool and and might speak a little more highly of the program than than maybe you've been hearing lately. 
Yeah, a lot of these guys have like completely revitalized their career coming to Stillwater right. as transfers. We've seen it with the Jalen Warren. We've seen it with the Tay Martin. So it's really cool that they're kind of, you know, like you mentioned, they've kind of got a soft spot in their hearts now for the program. They want to come back. They want to be involved. They want to shout it out. So it's really cool. I'm glad Jalen Warren's back. Hopefully we see more guys come back like that. Hopefully, you know, some of the guys, we get a lot of transfers in right now. You're Deshaun yeah. Striblings, you're Elijah Collins, you're Justin Kirklands. Hopefully this same kind of path, they can follow it as well, like Jalen Warren and become, you know, guys that get in the mix in the NFL moving forward. It'd be really cool to see. Yeah, I just I just don't think you can let it fly under the radar as much as you you want to talk about transfer portal and guys wanting to leave. I think it's pretty cool when you see an NFL level pro want to come back. So we'll we'll call it out yeah. the same. All right. So at practice Cade, they've been doing a little bit more emphasis on team situations. We've seen some clips out on Twitter and things like that. A lot of the practice notes we get, obviously, are from stuff that Pokes Report puts out. Robert Allen's able to be there at every practice, along with OSU Max putting out a lot of these player interviews and the Gundy media sessions, which it's awesome that Gundy's meeting with the media for 20-plus minutes every Monday. That's been really cool. And he met with them again, and so did the players. You know, he had some kind of notable quotes, Cade, talking about Spencer Sanders and... Alan Bowman, he kind of compared the two skill wise and then mentioned that, you know, Spencer would sometimes choose to use his legs, whereas Bowman is trying to kind of get out of plays by finding guys after the play yeah. breaks down with his arm. It's kind of a interesting note. It, it, I don't think Gundy's taking a shot at Spencer or anything like that. It was just, it, it seemed like he was almost comparing their abilities in ways and their maturity levels and things like that and then kind of finished it off with that one key difference there. Did you take anything from that? Well, I think it kind of piggybacks on a comment he made about a guy like Brock Purdy. He actually named Brock Purdy as an example of a quarterback that extends plays, and Mike Gundy sees a lot of value in that. And then he proceeded to talk about Alan Bowman's feet being a little bit of a surprise and his ability, as you just said, Dustin, to extend plays and look for guys downfield with his arm. I don't take it as a shot at all. I take it more as just a look. This is what you're going to see much differently this year in Stillwater. I I think Alan Bowman will be mobile enough to be serviceable, but I'd be really surprised if he was ever doing anything remotely close to what Spencer Sanders was doing. So I don't think that that was the purpose of that comment at all. Hundred percent. And Bowman goes on or. Gundy goes on to say Bowman's acting very mature, handles himself extremely well. He's rotating in with all three groups so he can kind of get, you know, used to all the different guys, learn the scheme, get more reps in. Says he never says a word, which we know Gundy <laughs> loves. Yeah. And quite, and like yeah. you just mentioned, he has the ability to avoid the rush and move around and make a good play. One thing that he noted that I found interesting is he said things don't bother him in practice. If he makes a bad throw or does something he shouldn't, he just goes on down the road and doesn't let it bother him at all. So it's just the maturity that he's bringing has been really nice to watch in practice. In turn, earlier on in his career, we heard that Spencer Sanders had an issue with kind of wiping things off, being able to kind of settle back down and go out there. We even saw it in some games where his interceptions would build up. Absolutely. To hear that noted by Gundy makes me feel good, at least in that aspect. I know Spencer cleaned it up. You and I were both big proponents of how Spencer kind of cleaned up 
that part of his game as he moved through his career. But it's great to hear that Bowman doesn't have that yeah. kind of fault in his game at this point, if you could call it that. And Spencer did clean it up, but he still would let issues compound themselves when he was an emotional guy. And it was why he was so good at times, dynamic, you know, Heisman caliber at times, and then was hardly playable at, at times. So, and you would get that at some point every season that he played in Stillwater and those moments just became fewer and far between. So I'm sure it is a breath of fresh air. And Spencer Sanders was a, uh, volatile is the wrong word, but he was an expressive personality in Stillwater. And that, that goes the way it often goes. I mean, some people gravitate towards it and some don't necessarily. And so I'm, I'm sure that a quiet, you know, um, unshakable leader in Alan Bowman is a pretty welcome sight for Mike Gundy right now. Oh yeah, I completely agree. Uh, some other Gundy notes on the offense. He said he sees Nixon as a third down back, but he'll see as they move into summer and fall, if he's got the capability to be an every down back. So it's good to know he, he sees him in the mix. He also talked about Arlen Bruce yeah. being a lot like what they had with John Paul Richardson. He said he's shifty has good hands, physical. He's They're very similar players. He mentioned it was interesting when JP left. We started looking for a guy. That's what we thought he was, and we brought in Bruce, and that's kind of what we think he is. So that's pretty cool. He said uh, Shetron has looked really good, just needs to be a little bit more physical, but that comes with experience. He also said the practices have ramped up in intensity, not only this spring, but they've been more intense in the past couple of springs. He said he's kind of looking to bring that physicality back into the practices. Good. I thought those were all interesting notes. It's going to be fun to see how much Nixon has used. Cause like we talked about last week, Cade, they seem to be throwing him the ball. They seem to be giving it to him inside, letting him get out on the perimeter. They want to incorporate him, which is something you and I wanted, but we also wanted Nixon to improve on some things. So it's going to be interesting to see how much he's used this season. Man, can you can you use him as kind of a, a gadget type player if you're if you're a little bit loaded with Ollie Gordon and Elijah Collins, which I think you are, right? It sounds like you've got two really good options there. Can you put a Jaden Nixon in the slot, motion him into the backfield, do some kind of gadgety type stuff with him? I, I think you could, and it sounds like they've been uh, open to to using him in more creative ways, as we've talked about. So um, I don't know what you do with him if he's your third option at running back, if it's anything but that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I It's going to be, it's going to be, we're going to go into the season, I think, not knowing how they're going to split up these carries, which is, I feel like, how it was last year, and then it was 90% Dom for the first right six games or so. So hopefully I'm hoping that doesn't happen again, unless it's 90% Ollie and he's going to rush for 2000 yards, but I would like to see all three of those guys and Collins, Ollie and Nixon get out there. So it's going to be fun to watch on defense. Said he Gundy wasn't even really asked about Benson. He just said, Xavier Benson has looked really good. We've started to hear some positive things about Benson. I really loved everything that Benson said in his after practice interview last week. So that was really cool. They're starting to do some even front stuff this week, which, you know, we've mainly been talking about the three down odd front. So they're mixing in some even stuff there. 
And then outside of that, not a ton from Gundy on the defensive side of the ball, but both of those notes I think are pretty interesting. And Cade, Xavier Benson is a pretty polarizing player, I think, with the fan base right now. I Everybody was really excited to get him from the JUCO ranks, especially after seeing how he played as a freshman at Texas Tech. At times he faltered last season. At at times it was due to the uh, the defensive yeah. line not giving him much help, and other times it was him maybe not being in the right spot, maybe being, you know, just a little bit confused in coverage or missing a tackle on the perimeter. So it's gonna be you know interesting to see kind of how he plays. It seems like he was dealing with some stuff off the field mentally last season. Sounds like he's in a great place right now. So I'm expecting. I think a pretty big improvement from him as we move into the 2023 season. Well, I maybe the most important player on the defense. I mean, outside, I mean, you could make a case that a Kendall Daniels or a Cordy black are as important, but if he's going to be anchoring that defense, it's going to, you're going to be hard pressed to, to overcome that argument for me. And I think, Loved what you said about him. He was polarizing, and he was almost like the Spencer Sanders of the defensive side of the football. He would make plays and would wow you at times and then would just, you know, kind of lay down on others and 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 show zero physicality. And so kind of back to a point you made earlier, it's good to hear that things are ramping up in spring practice because I think Oklahoma State, there was a clear lack of physicality with that team last year on really both sides of the football. So I think it's a welcome sight. And if Xavier Benson is showing signs of improvement, that's a good thing. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need to see it to believe it. Me being one of them. Yeah, no, agreed. And Kid, you mentioned the lack of physicality maybe as a team. And as we get into the player interviews, I'm just going to run through some highlights for each of the guys they talked to. But Holly Gordon mentioned that he wants the team and he thinks that they are to be closer together as they move into this season. It's something we heard Xavier Benson mention last season as well. You know, we heard a lot of talk about maybe it was the coaches and players where there was some rifts and maybe that was the case, but it sounds like there were, you know, some disagreements amongst just the players themselves last season. So Ollie mentioned that he also confirmed they're moving to a lot of gaps, gap scheme stuff. He's like the eighth person to confirm that along with Gundy himself on the offensive side, outside of Ollie, they interviewed Jaden Bray. He mentioned, we talked about all his injuries last week. He broke his thumb three different times last season, said that both of his sisters are nurses and they were really worried about him trying to keep playing. His mom was really worried about it, but they left it up to him. Just kind of shows his toughness, but that that's not great to hear. Hopefully, and Gundy even mentioned all, all were kind of freak injuries, so it'll be good to see him healthy going into this season. He had really great stuff to say about Arlen Bruce as a receiver. Really, really great stuff to say about Deshaun Stribling as a receiver, but also as a blocker. Mentioned he had a couple oh, wow. pancake blocks already. And then one quote that he had, Kate, that I thought was really no, really notable, we have to block this year as wide receivers. So not only is it going to be incorporated more, but he knows that they struggled at times to block. So both those guys, a couple of interesting quotes, both interviews were really long. Normally they're around four to five minutes. I think Ollie's was like nine and Bray's was about 12 minutes. So a lot of interesting stuff from those guys on OSU, Matt. Well, I love the comment and I'll say one thing. Our boy Adam Lunt's going to love that because he noted it. 
<laughs> you and I talked about it last year about the wide receivers inability to block anybody. It was just kind of a, a offense wide thing where nobody was blocking anybody. So that's a good thing to hear. Again, just go back to the physicality. Um, I will. I was going to say when you said uh, that Deshaun Stribling is showing to be one of the best blockers. You know that's Casey Dunn's love language right there is a is a physical blocking wide receiver. So that's exciting. I've also heard per sources that he's been the best wide receiver in camp. So yeah, that's awesome to hear because we know we know what Bray has skill wise. We know what right. Blaine Green has. So adding guys like Stribling, having Shetron kind of beef up. You still got Owens there, Leon Johnson. It's gonna it's gonna be fun to watch the guys on the outside. Not to mention the two slot guys and Presley and Bruce. So it'll be fun to see the guys they interviewed on defense. Kendall Daniels and Colin Clay. You know, Daniels was a great interview. There wasn't a ton of notable stuff there that I that I caught, aside from the fact that he said Kenneth Harris, the transfer cornerback from Arkansas State, is doing real well. And he also called out Eamon Oates playing really well. Or Iman Oates, I think is how you say it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Colin Iman. Clay. Yep. Yeah, Iman. Yeah. So Colin Clay, he said he's trying to be more of a vocal leader. He said he's normally a pretty quiet guy. He also mentioned that playing head up over the center at the nose tackle spots a little different for him. He's never played there. And he mentioned Justin Kirkland is awesome. So another person just calling out how awesome Kirkland is. It's great to hear. Well, so the vibes are high in Stillwater. I mean, everything we just talked about is all positive. No big deal. Everything's great. I mean, I'll say this. The program is is on dark mode right now. You can't hardly get anything. Uh, the Even the practice clips are very limited. The Even practice photos are very limited. Uh, it seems like usually when that happens, there's big things going on. And I, I usually lean with Mike Gundy towards the good side of things. So we'll see. But uh, it's really interesting because everything you're hearing out of Stillwater is that everybody that needs to do well is doing well. So... 100%. Before we move into a couple of notes from practice, Cade, I did want to hit three injury notes. One of them we knew about, two of them are newer things. So Dalton Cooper, the transfer tackle from Texas State, he's been sitting out of practice with a plantar fasciitis issue in his foot. My understanding is that if it was a game week, he would be able to play. I think this is just precautionary. The one positive there is I believe Calvin Harvey, Noel McKinney, Jack and Dean are probably getting a ton of reps at tackle in team situations behind Jake Springfield and Caleb Etienne. So that's the one positive to take from that. Along with Cooper, Colin Clay is dealing with turf toe, so he hasn't been a full go and everything. He's still practicing, but I think it's in a little bit limited capacity. And then the one we knew about, Aiden Kelly, he's not practicing at all with the shoulder surgery. He'll be out all the spring and be back in the summer. So that's kind of if you if you ever wonder why we're not mentioning him a ton when we're talking about the defensive tackles, that's why. Well, the one that concerns me the most is Dalton Cooper's injury. I don't know if you've ever had plantar fasciitis or been a sufferer or know anybody. That can be really difficult to get rid of. And it can be a nagging, ongoing thing. Frozen tennis balls. I know fellow sufferers get that. I've had some some issues with it in the past, but uh, we're we're good now. So that that one of all of them is the one that concerns me the most. Hopefully, they can figure out a way to to rehab him enough to be healthy uh, for fall. Yeah, hundred percent agree. A couple of quick practice notes. Offense, like I mentioned, Alan Bowman's running with all the units. Garrett Rangel's getting out there. Gunnar Gundy, Zane Flores, Jaden Nixon, and Elijah Collins. They're popping off 
still uh, they're the kind of the most notable running backs just because they're guys that we didn't see in Collins' case. We didn't see it all at Oklahoma State. Nick's in a limited capacity. Ollie Gordon, as we mentioned last week, has looked really well. We talked about Dalton Cooper sitting out. Garrett Wang- Rangel, I believe, hit Quentin Stewart for a big gain. Quentin Stewart, uh, we know, caught a touchdown pass late in the season last year, one of the only Cowboy backs to catch a touchdown pass last season. So uh, Rangel has been hitting his former high school teammate, Jaden Nixon, on some throws. We talked about Nixon being used as a wide receiver. It's pretty cool. And then I, it sounds like Alan Bowman had a really good week the la- last week. And the last note I wanted to make is apparently there's been some pulling going on with Jake Springfield. That makes me think it could either be some GT counter or some dart, which I've talked about, which is a, play that Gundy utilized a lot early in his tenure as head coach. If you want to check out some of those Twitter Twitter threads on the feels like 45 Twitter account, I've kind of broken down the dart play, drawn it on the chalkboard, showed some clips of it during those games. So thinking about Springfield pulling, apparently he's been pretty good in the open field making blocks. So it's pretty good to hear. I mean, first time they run GT counter, you're going to pass out. I might. <laughs> It's going to be when I'm charting the game, Cade. If they have more than five or six gap scheme runs in a game, that's going to be more than they had in any single game last year. It's going to be so strange. It's going to look so much different. I mean, you're you're basically so used to a zone scheme, which at any given moment can look almost like a dive type play. You know what I mean? Usually you're looking for the cutback lane. And if it's not there, it can be very difficult and it can look ugly at times. And and I remember my mom, she used to talk about why are they running it up the middle every time? It's like, well, they're trying to run zone and they just can't. So yeah. I, I think this whole thing is going to look very different. So uh, I'm excited for it. That is a great point, Kate. I haven't even really thought about, but it should at least make the fan base happier <laughs> that it doesn't look like a run just, straight up the middle. <laughs> yeah, they're just going off a gap every time. It's like, well, they're not really, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really funny. That's a great point. On defense, like we talked about, Justin Kirkland continues to make plays. Oates has been used a lot more, and I think that's because Clay is kind of limited with the turf toe. Gundy called him out. Apparently, with a few more months with Rob Glass in the weight room, Oates could be a contributor inside wow. as early as next season, which would be big time for a guy coming from NEO as a JUCO transfer. Justin Wright, anybody that gets interviewed on the defense mentions, mentions Justin Wright. He's coming from a similar defensive scheme at Tulsa in his time there with uh, Joe Gillespie. So he sounds like he's been a big time leader kind of helping the other guys, even though it's not the exact same scheme. He has a little bit more familiarity with it. Lear crawls has been making plays. Ladarius Webb had a sack on a defensive back blitz. Colin Oliver also picked off a pass from his linebacker spot. So a lot of fun stuff from some new guys on both sides. And Kate, I think that's really it. I have on spring football. Those are kind of all the notes. Ah, I love it. Every week I'm like, what's Dustin coming with? And it's always heat. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for doing that as always, man. It's uh, again, I, I'll just go back and to wrap up, you know, kind of spring this week is it seems like the, the sentiment is high. I, I'll say it's it's probably the same for every other program in the country. So I think you have to take all this with a little bit of a grain of salt, but I'll continue to say it. I think Oklahoma State has loaded back up at the positions that they were deficient in last year. 
And the change in defensive scheme could could really be the difference if it's executed poorly between a six win type of season or a or a nine or ten win, you know, competing type of season. I truly don't know what to expect at this point. I think going into fall, I'll have a better idea. But right now, I I could I could be talked in to a range of six and six and ten and two easily. <laughs> It's so hard to know with so many new guys. It's just, especially one of those being the quarterback, possibly with Alan Bowman coming 100%. in. So new defensive coordinator, you're right. It, it The win-loss scale range is very wide right now. So it's going to be interesting to see as we continue moving forward, as we continue hearing positive things, negative things, you know, if, if guys come back from injury, if guys leave with injury, it's going to be, Interesting to see how it all shakes out before that first game this fall. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, well, right, Dustin, yeah. Just a couple quick recruiting notes. No notable offers that I saw really that we want to get into from the 2024 class, but a couple visits, as we'll see with the Saturday practices, Monday practices, guys are going to be visiting. A few guys that came by, I'll just kind of list them off and read the position, height and weight where they're from, and if they're ranked on 247. You had Samisi Tonga from Jalen Warren's High School West in Salt Lake City. It's an interior offensive lineman, 6'4", 310 pounds, three-star in the 2024 class. C.J. Brown, who we've talked about on here, the wide receiver out of Bentonville High School in Bentonville, Arkansas, 6'1", 185 pounds, three-star in the 2024 class. My guy, Grady Adamson, the 2025 Deer Creek, Antler Pride, baby, 2025 quarterback, 6'2", 180-pounder. He threw for 2,358 yards and 27 touchdowns last season with only six picks. Giving a little bit more info there, obviously, on the quarterbacks that are coming through. But he's not rated yet that I can find on 247. Along with him, Brody Duffel, interior offensive lineman, 6'5", 250 pounds from Bixby, not rated in the 2024 class. Caden Massey, the humongous offensive tackle, 6'7", 270-pound three-star from Linden, Kansas, Linden High School in the 2024 class. Along with him, C.J. Simon, the safety from Moore. He's not ranked in the 2025 class. He's six foot 165. Brian Huff, the Jonesboro, Arkansas, Valley View High School linebacker, 6'4", 221, pretty big for a high school linebacker. He's a three-star in the 2024 class. And then wrapping it up with Jeremy Jackson Jr. and Edge, 6'2", 200 pounds from Texas. He's uh, 2024 class, and he's not ranked. There were some other guys, a couple other preferred walk-on guys that came through, but those were kind of the notable ones, Cade, who visited. My favorite, obviously, as you can tell, is Adamson. That's uh, when oh, I yeah. moved to Oklahoma. That's where I finished high school. So anybody from Deer Creek, I love. Logan Ward, kicker on the team right now from Deer Creek. So we'll keep an eye on Adamson moving forward. I mean, you even you even hit the hand signal, so I know you're about it when I see the antlers fly up. That was impressive. It's like you'd been yeah, doing Jake, that. That's that's all I really have for football recruiting. Not really any notable news right now. We should start seeing a little bit more as these visits are taking place, some offers coming out, some commitments, and obviously keeping an eye on anybody that sneaks in from the 2023 class. Like We talked about the JUCO tackle a couple of weeks ago. Don't have any scholarships open right now, but one could open up with the transfer portal opening back up. So we will keep an eye on it and keep you guys posted. Yep, absolutely. No question about it. Dustin, did you watch any Final Four basketball last night? 
I did for a little bit until it kind of got out of hand. Did you? I did. Uh, there was a moment in the second half where I was about to stand up. It was, uh, I think Eddie Radosovich, friend of the pod, actually tweeted something very similar. I had the exact same thought as San Diego State trimmed that lead from like 16 to five in a matter of <laughs> five minutes, which is how long it took me to take the trash out and get back inside. And the game had completely flipped. But uh, it was interesting and and kind of cool to watch a team that Oklahoma State had played previously. That's not a conference team in Connecticut uh, go on to win that. Uh, I mean, absolutely loaded at every position, three NBA guys. And when that game happened in December, I looked at Connecticut. And I was like, they are one of the best teams we'll face all year. They stumble down the stretch and then ultimately uh, don't. I think they won every game by more than 15 points or something like that, which is unheard of. So I, I was just curious your thoughts on the on the championship game last night. Yeah, it was a pretty dominant run for them through the tournament. Like, yeah, almost unhe- unheard of. Is I want to know what the kind of, you know, you talked about that. I think, yeah, like 13 point average margin of victory or something like that. I want to are over 13 points in every game. I want to know what the biggest kind of like average margin of victory of the tournament is because UConn's got to be up there in at least recent history that I can think of. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but it was a pretty dominant run from them and crazy that, what is it? Three different coaches have won. Yeah. Those three, three championships there recently. Yeah. That's just wild. Well, I've, I've got it for you. Connecticut won its sixth six NCAA tournament games by an average of 20 points per game, the fourth largest average win margin since the field expanded to 64 in 1985. And they finished wow. the season 17 and 0 against non-conference opponents and won every game by more than 10 points, 10 or more. That's incredible. They it almost were amazing. If they don't have that kind of stumble that you talked about late in the season, I mean, you'd think they were one or one seed, probably. Well, and everybody kind of wrote them off, and obviously not a Connecticut podcast, but you got to talk about it. It's topical. Um, and they they truly, if they didn't do that, they were one of the best teams all year, uh, especially on paper. I mean, Jordan Hawkins is an absolute freak. He can score at every level, and then you have a guy in Adama Sinogo uh, that. I mean, nobody can defend down low who Oklahoma state kind of, I'll say this, they kind of passed on him, which is in hindsight, which is 2020. Absolutely crazy. But Dustin, our friends at home field apparel, I talked about the throwback Connecticut shirt. It's on the way. I bought it last night in oh, honor. Did. I did. I said I would do it and I, I love I've it. done it. So, and, and I was not able to use my promo code. But if you're after some, you know, commemorative Connecticut Huskies gear, which I don't know if you would be, I don't know how big our Connecticut demo is on this podcast. I'll have to look that up after, but you can use our promo code feels 12 for 15% off your first order. Um, It's especially great with baseball season, you know, in full swing right now, some great stuff for Oklahoma state fans. If you haven't used that promo code before and really kind of across the landscape, a lot of cool stuff with home field. So just to thank you to them as they continue to take really good care of us in the 10, 12 network and especially uh, us. So use that promo code feels 12 for 15% off your first order. And Dustin, that leads us kind of right into a topical discussion of basketball the big news right now, we we had none. We had no transfer portal entrances. 
Now you've got two notable Oklahoma State players declaring their intention. You start with John Michael Wright earlier in the day saying he would be coming back to Oklahoma State. I think a, a nice addition to next year's roster. I think the bigger news of the day is Avery Anderson after four years in Stillwater uh, entering the transfer portal. I mean, Dustin, your reaction to that, not really a surprise. There was a lot of uh, rumblings about that, especially over the last couple of days, that that, that was in the works and uh, especially got loud today, and it ultimately happened. Yeah, my first kind of thought, Kay, just with talking to some people after John Michael Wright announced he'd be returning to Oklahoma State for an additional season was, you know, are they going to want to keep – Avery Anderson as well. Obviously, Avery Anderson, a really great player, someone that you and I like. You know, he had his faults with turnovers at times, with three-point shooting. But do they want to keep both of these guys? Or if they were to keep both of them, would either of them care if they brought in another guard, another point guard? So the fact that one is staying and one is leaving isn't that surprising to me. I think you and I talked about that when we were kind of yeah, talking about different roster scenarios heading into next season. You know, I it's sad to lose a guy like Avery, a guy who could score and fill it up sometimes and get hot, and it was a really great player on the defensive end. But I think my one, if they're able to go to go and get a point guard who they could start over John Michael Wright, John Michael Wright being the backup point guard is a some is something that I like heading. I don't know about you, but heading into next year. Yeah, it's it's a little bit strange how that all went down because what I'll say is I think Avery Anderson is a good enough point guard to be your starter at Oklahoma State. He struggles with the turnovers. He's going to be what he is as a shooter, but I think athletically he brings you a lot being able to initiate the offense as a dribbler and then additionally his his ability to really lock down an opposing team's best scorer was invaluable and i think did a lot of things that didn't necessarily st- show up in the stat sheet contributing significantly to Oklahoma State's demise later in in this season so i think his value was very clear and the whole thing is a little strange because i don't know unless you go get a a Tyler Perry from North Texas who we'll talk about a Max Asmus somebody like that it's tough for me to see how Oklahoma State couldn't figure out a way to keep Avery Anderson in Stillwater. And four years is is so much longer than the average run at a tip at a school right now. So you got to tip your hat hat to him and and wish him well. You wonder where he ends up, but you know, to me, if you could have done a a lineup with Avery starting and John Michael right off the bench. I feel like you're going to end up with something very similar to that unless you go get a a you know five-star portal guy, which could happen, but I, I'm not holding my breath for that right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I losing Avery Anderson is is a tough loss. You know, he's obviously I think the better all-around player than John Michael Wright. I I think it's gonna be interesting. I'm not sure. I just don't really know how it went down. Do you think it was a Mike Boynton saying, Hey, we're going to go get, going to go try to get a few more guards. So you might have some competition here and Avery wanting to move on. Do you think he's going to dip his toe into the NBA again? I'm not really sure how the convo went because with how Avery kind of signed off from everything and, you know, not saying everything he said, maybe is hundred percent true. It could have just been, you know, thank of the fans and everything, but I, I believe Avery's sign off and farewell was genuine. So it just feels a little odd, maybe how it went down. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if Mike Boynton doesn't bring in more guards, uh, there's going to be a problem. Like they're, they're, they're not going to fix the things that killed them this year. And that will be, that will be bad coaching if that's the case. So we'll, we'll call it out point blank. I could see that to your point being something, a sticking point for Avery Anderson. And, and I don't blame him if that was the case at the end of the day, maybe at some point it's just better to go, you know, move on. He played in two NCAA tournament games in his entire career. Maybe he wasn't in love with the way things are shaping up next year. Um, it's going to be tough for Oklahoma state to make the tournament next year. I'll just be completely honest with you. If they don't reload, if they don't load up at guard, I don't see a way to do it. So, um, it's tough to speculate. I think, uh, it's a difficult loss though. And, uh, leaves it, leaves a gap. I don't think John Michael Wright in this scheme is the guy you want trying to initiate the offense with the key being this scheme where you need a guy that can break the, the defense down with a dribble and, he's not going to be your guy that does that. I think he absolutely can be a valuable piece going forward, but I I don't know if it's your starting point guard next year. I think that would, that would, that would tamper my expectation pretty significantly next year. I I agree. I I don't think if he, if we roll out with John Michael Wright as a starting point guard next year, I think that would be a little disappointing. Although I do, I am glad that he's back and think like you said, he could be a key player a key role and who knows you know maybe as a kind of bench guy somebody that can maybe move a little bit more off the ball if they do go get a true point guard out of the portal maybe his shooting kind of goes back up maybe he's able to be a little bit more consistent which was an issue we saw with him especially late in the season inconsistency okay the one thing i wanted to call out though is this doesn't technically open up a spot no no it doesn't no it does not (laughs) they were already at 14 which one thing to note, and sorry to interrupt you, but Brandon Garrison, Jamiron Keller, Justin McBride, and Connor Dow have all actually signed. Eric Daly Jr. has not yet signed. I believe signing day is April 12th, the the net, like the second signing day, you know, obviously those guys, but he committed, I believe, after that signing day. So right. I know everybody's expecting him to sign. I I have heard that he was possibly looking at maybe an alternate pro route. But I think from everything that we've seen, he's going to sign on April 12th. But I just, I did just want to note that, that I guess if you're looking at it as four guys who've signed, they do have one scholarship open, but we expect that to be ter- taken by Eric Daly Jr. That's a super important note and probably something that people have not thought of, uh, generally speaking. You, you just think of a commitment as, you know, especially with signing they already passed. And Eric Daly... Outside of Brandon Garrison, I I would say he's probably your second best guy coming in. So that it's a big oh, yeah. deal. It's going to be a long eight days uh, until then. And and the pro route thing is is true. I mean that was it was really kind of Oklahoma State. I want to say NC State or pro, and it ended up being Oklahoma State. So not shocking there. They need to figure out a way to get that <laughs> pen to paper for sure. But it you know <laughs> at the end of the day. I, I think they have not addressed the elephant in the room, and that is having multiple scoring options at guard, um, th- and they have no slashers. This is going to be a real test of Mike Boynton's ability to build a roster, and I'm I personally I believe he can do it, but I I can't wait to see how it unfolds. So I'm not going to read that, and this is a perfect segue, but. I'm not going to read back through everybody that OSU has mentioned because we did that last podcast and nothing has changed since then. None of the guys that Oklahoma State has been linked to that we've talked about previously 
besides the two in Paxson from Brown and uh, Tanji from, I believe it's Colorado State. They're the only two that have committed since then. So if you want to go back and listen to the last one, you can hear us kind of run through everybody. But of one of those guys we are going to talk about in Javin Small from ECU because he's kind of – it looks like he's narrowed his list down to Notre Dame, OU, Ohio State, Arkansas, LSU, and Oklahoma State. So I think he's going to be narrowing it down even further soon. That's Jamie Shaw and on three reporting that. Okay, do you think Oklahoma State has any shot there? Some of those schools are some pretty big names, but the fact that Oklahoma State is included is promising. Just a reminder, this is the 6'2", 180-pound guard from East Carolina. He averaged 15.8 points, 5.6 assists, and 4.8 rebounds last year. Shot 33% from three on six attempts and 85% from the free throw line. More of your kind of typical true point guard and as we mentioned when we talked about him previously, nearly six assists a game is almost half of what Oklahoma State averaged as a team last year. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a highly sought-after guy, and Oklahoma State being that close here is a good thing. I honestly would watch out for Oklahoma here. Sounds like he's taking a visit there. Um, usually in the transfer portal era, that's a good thing for the school recruiting them. So uh, definitely keep an eye on that. And they're going to have plenty of options, but I think Oklahoma State has just as much to offer as anybody at the guard spot. So I he would be a phenomenal get, and frankly, would be the kind of upgrade from Avery Anderson that I'm I'm re- referencing. That's going to be difficult to get, but if you're close, go seal the deal. Yeah, if you have Small as your starting point guard and John Michael Wright coming on after him, I think that's pretty big time. So yeah, no I would question. that would be a huge get. In the grand scheme of things, I'm not super optimistic about it just because there's so many players in place. But if he narrows down the list again and Oklahoma State's on there with, you know, two other schools, that would make me obviously feel a little bit more positive about it. Kate, you ready to get into some of the new names that Oklahoma oh, State's you know going to? You know All I right, am. So up first, we've got AJ Store. I believe it's pronounced Store from yeah, St. Store, John's. Store. He's the 6'6", 200-pound guard last season. He's only played one season in college, so he's still got several years of eligibility left. 8.8 points, 1.9 rebounds, 0.8 assists. That's in 33 games, 17 games started, 21.1 minutes. He shot 40% from three, but it was only on 2.8 attempts and 75% from the free throw line. I think this is a guy that they would want to bring in. This is a really highly touted recruit. He shot it well in high school. He obviously showed on not very many attempts that he's able to shoot it well from three here. This is a guy I think that's maybe Mike Boynton is looking at as a maybe not your next year, plug him in, and he's a fill-it-up playmaking guy, but a kind of down-the-road guy to fill in some pieces that you maybe didn't fill in with this high school class. I, I don't 100%. know, Kate. What, what do you think on that? I think so. He's a highly regarded guy and that East coast connection, you keep waiting for it to, to pay off in a big way. And this, this could be one of those. I know Oklahoma state's in a good spot here, but I know that a a couple schools are as well. So definitely one to keep an eye on. Along with him, MJ rice from Kansas. I know that's a guy you like a lot. The six, five, 215 pound guard from Durham, North Carolina, only played in one season at Kansas, played in 23 games, 7.6 minutes a game. I'm not going to read through his stats. They're not 
very eye popping, but this was a big time recruit coming out of high school. I think this is a guy, if he wants to come to Oklahoma state, you take him, he may not give you, you know, 15 points per game next season, but long-term, I think this is a guy you'd want on your roster. I know this season he dealt with a lot of injuries. I think he had COVID at one point and like kidney stones. So a oh, tough wow. freshman season for him. This is a really good player though. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said. I think the issue I see with him on the roster, I agree that if he's available, you take him. I think you have a little bit of a duplicate in Keon Williams. Yeah. And that's the problem I see down the line. Where I where I think that type of player excels is in kind of a like Mark Vidal role. You remember him at Baylor, just a thorn in everybody's side, uh, does the dirty work. And Keon Williams showed a little bit of that this year, which is what he's one of the like three guys that I'm like, okay, I don't want him to transfer because he really started to show some decent things as the as the end of the year came closer. But MJ Rice, I think if he's there, you take him. But you might have to go like the San Diego State route and just go a little bit positionless and just have dudes everywhere. Yeah, no, I completely agree on that. That's a great point there on on Rice. Next is uh, Tamar Bates from Indiana, the 6'5", 193-pound guard from IMG Academy originally. He's been at Indiana for two seasons. Last season, 6.1 points per game, 1.6 rebounds, 1.1 assist. He shot... 37% from three on 2.8 attempts and 93% from the free throw line started two games played in 35 averaged 20.4 minutes per game. He was originally, I believe signed with Texas and Shaka smart out of IMG, but then reopened his re- recruitment after Shaka smart left and went to Marquette. Not a ton of, you know, games started this. I mean, he seemed to be kind of a guy off the bench for Indiana, really highly touted high school recruit, I don't know, kid. This one seems almost similar to the MJ Rice. Yeah, a, a little bit. I'm I'm not sure where he fits right now, but I think a guy, if you could get him, you would take him, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I agree. It's it's kind of <laughs> it's almost the exact same thing with Rice. It's like I mean, you take these highly touted high school recruits that are at right. Indiana and Kansas if you can yeah. get them. So yeah, he, interesting th- stuff there. The thing about him, I I feel like he's Missouri bound. He was really close to going to Mizzou the first time out of school. It sounds like Mizzou is like really close to getting Caleb Love too. They just, you know, had a NCAA tournament that did not go the way they wanted to. <laughs> uh, I would wonder if they're looking to load up at guard and bring both of those guys in. So an interesting thing to watch there, not just for Oklahoma State, but college basketball in general. That's two high profile recruits. Yeah. Hey, this is a guy I really like. I don't think – I'm not sure if Oklahoma State's truly in the mix. I, they've been linked, but so have a lot of schools. Jalen Cook from Tulane, six foot, 205 pounds, started his career at LSU, then transferred to Tulane. He's from Walker High School in Walker, Louisiana. The past two seasons, he's averaged over 18 points a game. Last season, 19.9, so almost 20. He had 4.9 assists per game, almost three rebounds. He shot – 35% from three on 6.3 attempts and 85% from the free throw line. He was pretty much an every game starter. The season before that at Tulane, he actually shot 39% from three on 5.5 attempts. He's a career 37% shooter from three on almost five attempts per game. And this is a guy who obviously you can tell from his assist numbers and the way he plays the game 
is also a true point guard. If Oklahoma State could get this guy, I think this is a guy that you're really looking oh, for man. in this spot, at that point guard spot, but also a scorer. I think he would be huge. I don't think Oklahoma State's going to get him, but I think he would be big time. So 39% two years ago, 35% this year. He comes to Stillwater next of year. <laughs> yeah, comes to Stillwater next year. 30? 28 31? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of the way this tends to go. Okay, we got two more guys. One is Dalton Necht from Northern Colorado, 6'6", 197-pound guard. He played his first two seasons at Northeastern Junior College in Colorado and then played the past two at Northern Colorado. This past season, he was pretty much an every-game starter, 20.2 points per game, 7.2 rebounds as a 6'6 guard, and 1.8 assists. He shot... 38% from three on 6.3 attempts and 78%, 77% from the free throw line. This is your shooter. If you if you're able to get him, this is your shooter right here. Yeah. A hundred percent. All these guys are going to be so highly sought after that. It's tough to oh, yeah. see, you know, this initial crop and we're, we're a day removed from the national championship game. So there's more coming. Um, it's it's tough to and see. We're in the dead State. period right now, Cade. So yeah, you, Thursday it opens back up. So we'll hear even more. We'll we'll hear about more visits. So it's a great point by you. This isn't even, I I don't think fully ramped up right. No, it's not. And I I am excited and scared to see where it's going once it does open up for <laughs> Oklahoma State because There's I like mean 2,000 guys in the portal already yeah right um, it's 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 amazing the last guy you already mentioned him earlier so we don't have to go into too much detail here but I can read off some of his stats and then throw it over to UK Tyler Perry you might remember yeah. him he played at North Texas I think he scored 23 points against Oklahoma State in that game he's the 5'11 182 pound guard he still got multiple years of eligibility left he played two seasons at North Texas his coach obviously just left and went to Texas Tech so you know there's always the option of him following him there he averaged 17.3 points 3.4 rebounds 2.1 assists and shot 41% from three on 7.5 attempts per game and 87% from the free throw line. Again, here's your score. He's from Oklahoma. I, I was watching that game. Yeah, sorry, for Coffee, Oklahoma. I forgot to mention Wondering that. how in the world he got to North Texas. And, you know, it's it, again, at hindsight is 2020, and these guys don't develop the same way. It's actually why you see a team like Fairleigh Dickinson and UMBC and Princeton and these other schools, like they're able to win these games in the NCAA tournament because players are developing in different ways. Now through the transfer portal, they can arrive at different places like that. Tyler Perry is a high level power five guard. I watched him for like two minutes. I was like, Oh boy, that guy's going to give us some problems. And he did. He, I think he handed us like 18 points or something crazy like that. So what I'll say about him is I think Oklahoma State has a shot here. Um, haven't heard anything. That's that's a gut feeling. The fact that Texas Tech has not immediately been linked to him is very interesting to me. There was some interesting body language stuff, too, that I noticed with him and, and Grant McCaslin, Texas Tech's new coach. In that game, I noticed a couple of things. So it's it's they interesting to see that. Either. No, they, on, they have not on all been... the lists that have come out that have said where Tyler Perry has heard interest from been in contact with Texas Tech has not been listed. That's what I'm saying. They usually 
you're going to see a link to a, a a former coach pretty quickly, and it's a it's a done deal. I don't know if that's the case here, and Oklahoma State might be in good position. So that's that's kind of the way I see this one. Yeah, agreed. Cade, that's it on the transfer portal. We'll keep you locked in. We should start hearing some more news, more visit news after that dead period ends on Thursday, April 6th. So well, we'll keep it locked in there. Before we move on, I have a couple of names for you that oh, we haven't yes. necessarily talked about. I had my list, and I was checking it twice to see if you had mentioned any of these guys. Harrison Ingram, five-star, former McDonald's All-American, went to Stanford, and Oklahoma State was in his top five. As we were getting on the podcast, he entered the transfer portal. I would think he's Kansas-bound. That's kind of the rumor there. Um, if not, I think Oklahoma state could get in here, but he's a blue blood kind of player. I, I think, I actually think Kansas would be a great fit. And I think was his number two, uh, instead of Stanford, Max Asmus is going to be the guy that everybody and their dog yeah, wants. Great call. Great he's going to be a North Carolina Tar Heel, a Duke blue devil, Kentucky type of player. And frankly, he should be, uh, I'm excited <laughs> for him. He did it in a very unique way too. He didn't capitalize immediately by entering the transfer portal last year. Kevin O'Banner did his former teammate at ORU. He stayed one more year and uh, had a great career there. His Jersey will be in the rafters someday. And personally, as much as I'd love him to go to Oklahoma state, you, you got to love a kid that's going to go, uh, you know, make a name again for himself at a school. Like, you know, what is inevitably going to be a blue blood. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It'd be great to see Aces in Stillwater, but I love both of those name, names, Kate. I appreciate you bringing those up. And well, for sure. Again, I think Oklahoma State's going to be linked to both of those guys. What, two more for you, and one of them with an eyeball emoji attached. David Jones from St. John's, a guy to keep an eye on. He just entered the portal, but he's a wing scorer, 6'5", 14 and a half points a game, a really nice three-point shooter. And St. John's is down to three scholarship players uh, as as they uh, bring in Rick Patino. So they've got some interesting things to work out. And the last one, we mentioned him last week. I really think Oklahoma State's in good position here. Severe Wheeler. Um, we've talked about the need for a true point guard. Have heard some things that have been backed up elsewhere by others uh, that you might want to keep an eye on him. Not a done deal by any means, but Severe Wheeler out of Kentucky uh, is is the last one that I would say keep an eye on. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> Thanks for that nugget, Kate. I'm that. sure the listeners will appreciate that. Any Anybody else? That's it. No, anybody that's we it. We went through the entire portal, so that's it. <laughs> Dude, I love it. It's The basketball transfer portal has been fun this time around. Maybe a little too crazy at times, but yeah. it's going to be interesting to see where Oklahoma State ends up as far as portal players go. Yeah, no question. Well, Dustin, let's roll through baseball and softball real quick. And a great yeah. weekend on the diamond for Oklahoma State. Let's start with baseball. I mean, everybody saw the 2-1 series win over Texas. Nolan Schubert in the bottom of the ninth with a rip down the first baseline to walk it off. Uh, I thought Oklahoma State was dead in the water. And they come back in late in that game and make it really interesting and get a critical series win as, you know, pitching was better than anticipated. Uh, Warren Ross Brown goes nuts uh, in the second game. And then you've got some phenomenal pitching on Sunday. So overall, I think you got to feel pretty good about this one. Yeah. So they start the series losing to Texas five to three. 
Wolford and McLean had homers in that game. Binge went off with two doubles and a single. But then we see Ben Abram kind of struggle after, you know, four, I think, in a row, good starts. He gave up all five runs in that game in his five and a third innings. Drew Blake and Isaac Stebbins come in and just shut the Longhorns down, but they're not able to score any more runs. As you mentioned, Juwan Rots Brown in game two, his 67 strikeouts on the season are first in the Big 12 and second nationally right now. Oklahoma State wins that game four to one. He had 12 strikeouts. Stebbins comes in, gets his first career save, coming in for the injured Nolan McClain, who actually got injured running into the wall, trying to catch a deep fly ball. We've heard it doesn't look super serious. I've heard the word MCL thrown out, but just mm. strained. I think I don't think he'll be out for a really long time, but we'll see. I know, I know they're probably going to do an MRI and all those things. In that second game, Colin Bergerman was really good. And then Binge, you know, getting another RBI, went one for four on the day. In game three, Nolan Schubert has to walk off. They win that game four to three. It was three to zero pretty much the entire yeah. game. Stebbins and Blake come in out of the bullpen and pitch phenomenally again, just like they did in game one. Hendry actually wasn't bad. Three runs in his, I think, almost five bull innings was wasn't really terrible for him. Yeah. yeah. So I just, you know, pitching to Schubert with runners on second and third, why not just walk him and bring the double play? into into factor like it that didn't make any sense to me they're pitching to our best hitter average wise he rips one down the line with the game winner rock riggio does a super wide run around the field to go hug him just right in front of the texas dugout rock's hilarious i love everything that he does so pretty awesome weekend beating a ranked texas team in the series they're losing right now to wichita state seven to three if they lost this game, it wouldn't be a shocker to me. I'm I'm thinking hey, they're going to try to save arms for this weekend in TCU, which that series starts on Thursday. Speaking of Rock Riggio, he went three for four in that last game with a double, and a lot of folks had hits. They probably should have scored more runs than the four they had. But, Kate, I mean, my big takeaways for the weekend are the bats continue to stay pretty hot. They're just leaving a few too many guys on base not scoring enough runs, but guys like Ben six hits on the weekend, Riggio with five Wolfert playing with a sore hamstring in place of the injured Aiden Miola with five hits. And then obviously Nolan Schubert, those guys have continued to hit. Even when guys like Mendham have maybe been slumping at times, if Atkinson has taken a step back a little bit here and there, those mainly Ben Riggio and Schubert, those three, and then Wolfert mixed in this weekend have been amazing at the plate lately. Yeah, they, they've been phenomenal, and it was just awesome to kind of watch the resiliency of Oklahoma State in that game. I mean, the wind is howling, and and Tom Holiday, to your point, when they at when I think Dave Hunziker asked, "Would you walk Nolan Schubert here?" He said, "Oh, absolutely." So, yeah, really, really curious coaching uh, from Texas there, and and poor situational awareness to not put Schubert on first base. Cause you don't have a shot at a double play. If you don't, that was a classic uh, intentional walk type of scenario. So you got to love it for Oklahoma state as they get that series win. And this one against TCU is a big one. And we'll see Oklahoma state's making a little bit of a charge here against Wichita state. It was seven, nothing. And, and now it's seven, three, and we'll see if they can charge this one back up.
Yeah, so just kind of running through some of TCU stats real quick heading into that series, which is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series with Easter being on Sunday. TCU started the preseason ranked. You know, they were they were a really good baseball program. They are currently not ranked in D1 baseball's ranking, and they've dropped all the way to 47 in RPI. Statistically, not great from TCU yeah. as far as batting goes. They're 132nd in batting average, 107th in on-base percentage, 50th in home runs, and in the field, 107th in fielding percentage. Their pitching is made up for a, a little bit. They're 55th in ERA, 49th in whip, and 64th in walk to uh, strikeout to walk ratio. So the pitching has helped them out a little bit there, as opposed to Oklahoma State. And every single one of those stats I just listed is 50th or better, and they're all the way up to 20th in batting average and 15th in fielding percentage. So you can see there uh, the discrepancy in kind of the rankings. Cam Brown has been really good for TCU on the mound. He'll probably be, he started Sunday recently. I'm not sure. I'm assuming he'll still go then. Their Friday starter recently has been Ryan Vanderheye. And then Saturday, it's been Cole Klecker. Klecker and Brown have been really good. Vanderheye struggled a little bit. Luis Rodriguez has been good out of the pen. He's got three saves. Braden Sloan has been pretty good out of the bullpen. He started some games. Their bullpen hasn't been amazing. The starters have kind of carried them a little bit. And then along with Rodriguez on the back end at the plate, Carson Bone, Fontanelle, Anthony Silva, Trey Richardson are kind of their batters for average, and the power guys are Taylor, Fontanelle, and Austin Davis. So those are some names to keep a lookout for, Kate, as we go to TCU. But even with this series being on the road against a good baseball program like TCU, I think you need to come away with two, two of the three yeah, here. I, I think so, too, especially in – it's not a down year, but they're they're underperforming in some areas, and it makes them pretty gettable. This is a huge one. Yeah, I completely agree. Kate, you ready to flip the softball? You know I am. Oklahoma State wins a three-one game against Tulsa last week. We won't spend too much time on that because it went. It was basically like right after we podcasted. They were off this week in Big Twelve play, but they did. Kenny Gajewski talked about, I think somebody, he didn't mention who it was, but somebody backed out of this schedule and they were able to replace that with an Incarnate Word double header on Saturday in <laughs> San Antonio at Incarnate Word. If you watch those games, the commentator was the most monotone person I've ever listened to. It was very boring to watch, especially they kept switching the camera angle every like half second. Yeah, it was it, a little brutal. It pretzeled my brain, but they run rule. They run ruled both games. Kind of won't go into like too much, you know, diving into those games. More just kind of the takeaways from the weekend. They're number two still in D one softball rankings. Number three in the RPI, so they dropped a little bit there. Sixteenth in strength of schedule. Obviously, the incarnate word being a hundred and sixtieth in RPI hurts the strength of schedule a little bit, but. Cade, stats-wise, 5th in batting average, 6th in on-base percentage, 15th in ERA, 21st in strikeout-to-walk ratio, 3rd in fielding percentage. The Cowgirls have been awesome recently. They've been able to, in that Incarnate Word series, they were able to get some players in that haven't played a lot. Scotland David, who we mentioned on here, she had three hits in that second game. You get to pitch Rosenberry a little bit, who's actually, I believe, pitching right now against Wichita State and struggling a little bit, but she looked great against Incarnate Word. <laughs> All the normal names, you know, playing well. Big 12 Pitcher of the Week, Lexi Kilfoyle, got to pitch a little bit. Kelly Maxwell looked awesome. Seven strikeouts in her appearance. 
they've been rolling. They're they're losing right now to Wichita State, who's a really good team, but they go back to Big 12 play this weekend against Kansas Cade, and I think they should be able to sweep sweep this one, even though it's at Kansas. Yeah, I I at this point you're you're battling to do so every weekend is can can you get three because you're trying to keep up with Oklahoma in this conference and they're likely going to get three in almost every series they play. So I think you're you're not necessarily trying to keep up because I think you're you're making the pace as well, but it makes them every single one important. Yeah, agreed. Kansas is not ranked in D1 softball's ranking. They're 67th in RPI. They beat Baylor in one game last weekend, but they lost the other two. So it's, I, I think it should be a sweep. So we'll move into, we'll recap that one next week. Kate, that's all we have on baseball softball. You ready for the roundup? <laughs> Ragusa's news nest. Is that what we called it? Goose's news nest. <laughs> We've gotten a couple of positive feedback notes. So we'll keep it going for a little bit longer, at least, you know, see, feel it out a little bit. And then if, if you guys want us to stop, we'll stop. And I could stop saying that whenever. So you guys just let me know if you hate that too, and I'll stop. Okay, so golf, the men's golf team, they finished fifth out of 15. They were actually at Augusta, Cade, before obviously the Masters this weekend at the Augusta Haskins Award Invitational. They're back at it this weekend in Raleigh, North Carolina at the Stitch Intercollegiate. The women are actually in Big 12 match play this weekend, so that'll be cool to watch. I'm sure that... I'm sure we'll see some highlights. I don't think it's televised or on flow or anything like that, but I'm sure there'll be some highlights. I'm I'm thinking Oklahoma State will send some people to kind of take some videos of that. Track and field, obviously the outdoor season right now. They wrapped up their first multi-meet weekend with Stanford Invitational and then the Texas Relays. Uh, so obviously the Stanford one was in Palo Alto and then Austin for the Texas Relays. They're back at it this weekend in the gym click shootout in Tucson, Arizona. So keep an eye on outdoor track and field for both the men and women. Cowgirl soccer had three second half goals to win three to zero over Oral Roberts in their spring exhibition match Sunday afternoon at Neil Patterson stadium. They're back at it again, finishing their spring exhibition against Tulsa at Neil Patterson stadium kickoff stated for 3 PM this Saturday. Equestrian, they're up next in the national championship. Eight teams in that tournament. They take on Georgia. Oklahoma State's the number three seed. Georgia's the number six. Actually knew one of my wife's friends, and my friends went to high school with us as well, was actually on the equestrian team at Georgia. So it was interesting to see that mentioned there. But hopefully Oklahoma State takes them down. I can text her and talk some (laughs) trash. Tennis. Some horse trash. Yes. Some horse trash. Men's number 34 OSU lost to number three TCU this past weekend. They're up next against OU on Thursday. And then they have Tulsa on Saturday. They're 12 and eight on the season. The women, the 17th ranked women, wrapped up their final home match with a 7-0 sweep over West Virginia. And they take on OU this Friday. And Cade, Outside of kind of the notes on the specific teams, the last little roundup note is the OSU Hall of Honor. The 2023 Hall of Honor class is David Buddy Arndt, that's wrestling, Justin Blackman for football, Ricky Fowler for men's golf, Yolanda Adeno for soccer, and Coach Ann Pitts for women's golf. 
And then uh, the Legends Division honoree, Shelby Wilson, for wrestling. So those are all of the honorees that will be part of the ceremony on September 15th. Wanted to shout that out because Justin Blackman, Ricky Fowler, those were both you know, when we were in college time. Absolutely. So those names kind of stick out there along with everybody else. But those were kind of the two that popped off there. And it's always great to see Justin Blackman getting some recognition and getting him back to Stillwater is always great because we know he's you know, struggled through some tough times and to see him anytime he can get back to Stillwater, it's really cool. And the fans always seem to really love it. Yeah, that'll be a cool ceremony. I'm I'm sure at some point they'll do something to officially induct them and and look forward to seeing that. And as you said, the Justin Blackman thing is 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 fantastic and love seeing him get the recognition that he deserves. And I'll just call out the elephant in the room. I think he got snubbed. So I'll I'll send a, a tersely worded email to that committee uh and and see what I can do for next year for you. <laughs> I love it. Katie, you ready to move to questions? Yeah, we don't have any audio questions, so I think we're just on Twitter this week. Yeah, and we've got, I think, four on there. I think one was just sent in, so I'll have to read that one live. And <laughs> Which it, is always a dangerous game. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, uh, the first one's from GIA Enthusiast. That's at A-C-C-T-P-O-K-E, Accounting Poke. He says, which incoming hoops freshman do you expect to have the biggest impact? excluding Brandon Garrison. Ooh, man, that is a really good question. Um, I think, and let's, th- let's assume daily signs. Yeah, I think if daily signs, I'm going to go with him. I think he could potentially be your starting three next year. Yeah. This is a guy who has the tools to the point where scouts were telling him to take a look at the NBA. Yeah. So I, I you know, you know, guys like Connor Dow, Jamarian Keller, th- these are really good players, but I, I think you got to go with Daly. I- I- There's an argument to be had for the other three, but I, th- I think I would also go with Daly. I just don't know how much a Jamarian Keller or Connor Dow is going to. I mean, ideally, they're they're immediate contributors, but I I would think that at some point those minutes start to go away. And you look at a guy like Eric Daly, who has shown an ability to be a sharpshooter from three. Um, I think he could come in and do some things that surprise some people. Agreed. I love that question, though. That's a great question. That's a, it really enthusiast. is. Thank you for that. Uh, next, we got Bill Minat at Bill My Geo Guy. Thanks, Bill. As always, you are, you're always sending in great questions. This one says, would you sacrifice OSU football and hoops to another season of mediocre, mediocrity if it meant softball wins the natty this season, if no, what if it was two to three straight titles? Cade, let me actually throw another caveat into this question. So answer all three for me. So would you just the, the straight up question, softball winning a natty, the two to three straight titles, third option. What if it meant softball and baseball national titles this season? Uh, I don't see. Now we're like, calibrating how I feel about every Oklahoma state sport individually. And I love baseball and softball, but I I do not want football and basketball to be bad anymore. Really badly. Here's my thing. I think Cade, if it was, if it was two, if it was three straight titles for softball, three straight, that's pretty awesome. But that meant three. And I, he doesn't say this in the question. Yeah. I'm just saying, if it meant three bad seasons for football and basketball, I, I just don't think there's any way. I I think 
extending the amount of titles is really cool. That would be awesome to be a dynasty brewing in Stillwater, which there already, you know, is if OU wasn't as good as they are right now as well. But that long of mediocrity for hoops and football is just tough for me. And you know how much I love softball and you know college baseball growing up being an LSU fan in the nineties, the football team wasn't always great. The baseball team won five titles. So I grew up as college baseball being one of my favorite sports, if not my favorite sport, it's still tough though to go with any extended period of mediocrity in football and basketball for me personally. Three more years of extended mediocrity for football and basketball would put me into a like catatonic, depressed like state. I wouldn't even know what to do with myself at that point. I, I'd get a lot more done. Here's the thing, Kate. If it's if it's okay, so if you're saying OSU football and hoops are gonna have another season of mediocrity, softball wins the championship. Let's say softball and baseball, they both win. But on the flip, it's neither of them win and football goes to the Big 12 championship game. I'm I'm and not national championship even and not winning the Big 12 championships game. I'm just saying going. I'm probably taking going to the Big 12 championship game in football. I, see, I I agree with you completely. I, I mean, it is really awesome seeing Oklahoma State baseball and softball in the College World Series. The stage is just a little bit smaller. I mean, when it's the Big 12 title in football, there's 10 million people watching. You know what I mean? This, it's a bigger yeah. deal. And this is me personally, like football. Agreed. Is, college football is my favorite sport. So yeah, agreed. I'm going to pick that. I Just with this, I, it's a great question. It's We're taking it way too serious. So obviously it was a great question. And we're going to keep talking about it. So I, we can just continue to lay out more scenarios if you want. <laughs> um, next up, we've got Joshua Hawkins at J7 Hawkins. Thanks, Josh, for the question. He says, with a new offensive scheme incoming, if you could choose one OSU player from the last 10 years to add to this roster, who would it be? Whoa. Man. Offensive. I, I mean, you've got to go... If you're going to make me pick one offensive player to put on this team with the team going in next year, I'm probably taking Brandon Whedon or Mason Rudolph, right? Yeah. I and mean, my one, my first thought was, you know, um, an abs, an anchor at, at center that, you know, yeah, I think, I think that's the point of his question. Obviously I think I might be answering it wrong. I think he's looking for like with the gap scheme change. So maybe answering it like that. Well, I'm and, and yes. I, an offensive I, lineman. I don't know. I, I I heard the question maybe the way you heard it. I was just thinking, yeah, I mean, if you could put Brandon Whedon in this offense, it would be great. Um, I, I guess personally, if 10 years back, you couldn't do Whedon, but you could do Rudolph. I would put I would put Rudolph into this into this uh, scheme. Well, you're Absolutely. going in with Alan Bowman and Garrett Rangel and Zane Floors. So right. I, I and you got a bunch of wide receivers who may who may actually be really good. You've got some talent at running back. You could definitely add a Justice Hill, a Chuba Hubbard, a Tylen Wallace. But if it's me, I'm probably adding Mason I think that's a a really good one, and I, I think I would agree with you. And frankly, going back over the last 10 years of offensive line play at Oklahoma State does not lend you to very many superstars. So I'm I'm coming up short. That's Kevin Jenkins. I think you I know, think you're if good you, there. Yeah, I, I, a guy like Tevin Jenkins is one I think you'd throw in there. 
probably one of the better, at least in the past five years. Probably yeah, absolutely. Line in Oklahoma State has had. You know, it's got to be going back to Rudolph. If you're going ten, you can't throw in an Okun, guys like that. Yep. So it's, I think you got to go with Rudolph because if you pick Justice Hill, if you pick Chuba Hubbard, if you pick Tylen Wallace, if you pick James Washington, and I'm not, I sound like I'm just trashing Alan Bowman right now. I'm not trying to do that. But you have Alan Bowman throwing to them. Whereas if you've got Mason Rudolph back there, he's throwing it to these receivers who we think might be really talented, not as talented as a Tylen Wallace or James Washington. But I think you take the quarterback over the receiver in that scenario. Now yeah, you could I, talk me into Chuba or Justice. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I was even thinking like a, a, a lockdown corner. Uh, would be really well, he nice. Just said to offense, have. just offense. Oh, well then there yeah. you go. Easy. But I like where your head's at because I'd love yeah. to hear defense as well. <laughs> well. I love that's a great okay. question. Last one uh, from Brian Metcalf at Brian J Metcalf. It says since 2008, points per game in basketball has been trending down year over year, with an average of 72.5 points per game. Boynton has had an average of over this twice, 2017 and 2020. This is clearly the court's fault. What should we switch? What should we switch the hardwood to, or what design will help Mike? <laughs> you, the funny thing is, I know Brian's making a joke, and Brian, I love that. That's really funny. But people have made comments about shooting in GIA before, like being dead serious. That it's for whatever reason the backdrop is very appealing to a shooter. I don't know what it is, but I, I have heard the same things you have. Uh, I guess my my question to that is why is it not attractive to your own team who shoots in there every day? So I I think that that's a a, a little bit of malarkey. Design wise, though, I mean, we talking we talking getting real crazy like Oregon Paisley about Paisley all over the court. That's exactly what I was thinking. So tiny pistol peat heads in yeah. all inside the three point arc. That just like a pattern. That those ideas were free, courtesy of Dustin and Cade's think tank. I mean, you could go orange everywhere except inside the three point arc, and then that's black. In the line, oh, the three point line, and the free throw line is white. You could just massive cursive cowboys superimposed, like to where it's almost like pixelated on the. You know, it's just too big, takes up the entire thing. That you could do that. I honestly, all those obviously were jokes. I love how the court looks. I know, I know Brian was looking for us probably to make jokes on that like we did, which they I, I don't think they were very funny. <laughs> Mine weren't, but I love Oklahoma State's basketball court's like one of my favorites. Not just being an Oklahoma State fan. Like I love how it looks. Yeah, I've always liked it. I I personally think it's it's almost got an iconic look to it. Like you know where what you're looking at when you tune into an Oklahoma State game. So I, yeah, I love it. It's it's one of my favorite. Things to and look they're at, putting I your think. signature on the court next year, aren't right? You're you're just going awesome. right under Eddie Sutton, right? No, <laughs> that, I mean that would be pretty cool. If you haven't watched ever any of the old Eddie Sutton uh, coaches shows, they're on OSU Max, and they're pretty fun to watch. Some of them actually are a little ridiculous, like when oh, he's really? in a hot tub or something like that. So it's uh it's pretty fun. Eddie Sutton was an awesome guy. We should do something like that. <laughs> we should do a riff That'd on that. Cool. That would be cool. Well, Cade, we are out of questions. That's all we have. I know 
Kate and I realize, you know, these pods in the off season are pretty, not all over the place. I think we follow a pretty good agenda, but we're jumping around a lot. So we try to keep it in a similar order, just in case there's something you don't want to listen to. Feel free to hit that fast forward if you want to. But we're we're trying to keep it football, basketball, baseball, softball, and other sports. So if there's anything you guys think we could change, though, I don't think we ask this a lot on here, Cade, but any kind of feedback is always welcome. Feel free to DM us. I mean, you can you can trash us openly publicly on Twitter if you want, but feel free to DM us or anything like that because we love any feedback, anything we can do to make it more enjoyable for the listeners. Well, we're definitely down for our engagement's going to go through the roof after you just opened it up for for public feedback. I mean, we're going to set records uh, later this week. So, no, I fully agree. Um, you know, we're not going to timestamp the episodes, okay? Because that would mean I. I'm just kidding. We could absolutely do that. Let us know if there's something we're not doing that would make your life easier and uh, maybe we, better to listen to. So we do, Cade. I think to our credit, I hate giving us credit ever, but I do think we keep it in a pretty similar format. If we do throw basketball first, it's because basketball is still in season and nothing else is. But normally, I think we keep it in a pretty structured agenda. But if you guys want that changed, need anything else thrown in there. I mean, the cowboy roundup thing was a suggestion and we've added that in and we also can take it away. So we're, uh, we're happy to make any tweaks. Yeah, no question. I, we, we love doing it and we love that people love it. So it's, uh, it's definitely always open for feedback. And, uh, again, we, we get a kick out of it and I always enjoy riffing with you, Dustin, every week. So if there's anything else that you'd like to hear us talk about or, or discuss differently, we're, we're all ears. Well, we're out of questions and we're out of time. Uh, and it would appear Oklahoma State's running out of time against the Shockers. So we'll get, <laughs> we'll let you guys get back to your day. If you're not already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Feels Like 45 Pod. You can follow Dustin at Destregu and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. I hope you have a great Easter. Dustin, it was good to see you. We'll talk to you guys next week. Go, Pokes. <laughs>